Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Get in, losers. This is the Lady Killers, a feminine rage podcast. I'm Jen. I'm Sammy. I'm Rocco. And I'm May. Our podcast is a tribute to the female-identifying killers in horror and more. Each episode will feature us, your Supreme Court of female murderers, discussing our favorite lady killers, from your Julias and Jennifers to your Carries and Christines. We'll tell her story, decide if it's good for her horror, and answer the most important question of all. Would we die for her? Join us on Thursdays as we pull on our sweaters, snatch our ice picks, sharpen our scissors, and honor the lady killers who live on the silver screen. No boys were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network. Do you guys smell that? What is that? What is that smell? Oh my God, it's a giant rotting corpse of a robo beam bear. Welcome to 1991's The Wastelands, The Dark Tower, book three. This is where we were going to cue Ryan Adams' Wastelands. Unfortunately, much like Shardik, he's been canceled, so you'll just have to use your imaginations. Before we board Blaine the Pain, let's introduce who we have with us today. I'm Mackenzie Meir Gerber, constant contributor to this podcast, as well as the Halloweenies. Uh, who, who else from the old uh, Cotet of the Losers will be joining us today? Hi there. This is Lara. Tonight we're going to party like it's 1999 on our stall. Um, <laughs> that's a reference to a later Dark Tower thing, but I thought of it and boy, did I laugh. Um, 
What else am I saying about myself? Well, you we would like to know uh, what what version of the book you uh, read, yes. and then also when you first read it, and what was you, how would, how did you come across the wastelands? Okay, so I read the super cool Kindle version of the wastelands. Um, whatever you can get on Kindle, whatever's hot in the Kindle shop, that's what I got. Um, <laughs> I actually didn't start reading the Dark Tower series until this year. I felt like a fraud having appeared on this podcast and not having read the Dark Tower series. So I just decided to go for it. Um, And I've been reading them all on Kindle for that reason. And as a result, it feels like I've been reading the world's longest single book um, that just goes and goes. And I have no sense of where it begins and ends. Um, But yeah, that's my story. Cool, cool. And then who else is hailing from uh, Midworld today? This is Dan, all things serve the beam, Flieger. And they do serve the beam. They do. They do. Just to reinforce that. Um, Yeah, I think I first read this book in 2004. Um, I these were actually my first Stephen King books, uh, so I trucked through the Dark Tower. So I read them consecutively, and I, it sounds about right that it would hit right in that period. Yeah, no. I, and for me, I read the uh, the old Plume edition that my brother Justin had got me um, years ago. The first King books I read were the Dark Tower books, and I've said that before. Um, ultimately, he he went to a used bookstore. I think it was the Ravenswood bookstore before it moved to Ravenswood, bought me all of them. <laughs> oh, what a editions, good brother. And then gave it to me for Christmas, I think. And then I'd, I'd, I'd always wanted to go back and, and start Drawing of the Three because I read The Gunslinger when I was in middle school and just never continued because when I got to The Lobstrosities, I thought I jumped the shark. Uh, little did I know that book would end up being my favorite Dark Tower book. Um, but a cl- uh, uh, up there is The Wastelands, though. I really, <laughs> I really love The Wastelands. I'm really excited to talk about it today. And that's right, we moved on to the next category, the hook. Ah, yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it, exactly. Is this very different from Drawing of the Three? Uh, I know the... the I guess we could also talk about the structure and format at the same time, but um, it's it's structured a little bit differently, obviously. But uh, what about the hook? Um, I think I would say the Cotet is basically starting to gel. Um, they don't have Jake right away, but mm-hmm. you know they've survived the beach. Everyone's getting to know each other a little bit. We're finally things are sort of settling down, and we're starting to get an idea of all right, what is this mission that we've all been gathered for? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I feel like the hook isn't very much different. I mean, they're they're still very much on a mission to continue drawing more characters uh, to the cause. And um, which is just excellent. And I would say the this book is probably the most uh, expansive in terms of the lore. This is where you get all of the lore of Midworld, really. I mean, obviously, they expand upon it in the future books. But this is the first time you hear a lot of things and you get a lot of beam information and a lot of lot, a lot of King's Dominion in this book, um, referencing not only future books, but... Um, you know, just uh, past Stephen King properties as well. Um, Laura, did you have anything to say about the mm. the crux of this book, as it were? Not really. I agree with the lore comment, and just this is kind of where it all blow, blew open in my mind of like, what exactly is this series? What am I getting myself into? Um, and it, it, in a way, it really did hook me into wanting to read the rest. So It's funny because the pop culture references really kick into overdrive here. Oh, yeah. Uh, because there's like Beatles references. There's some of these things where you're like, okay, this is just 
you know, exist. But now we're starting to get ZZ Top deep cut references, and you're like, "What is happening?" Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> uh, you, you get you get it all a little bit, a little bit of every little taste of everything in this uh, in this book. Uh, okay, so uh, we pre- prematurely uh, jumped into structure, but I'm gonna jump back into structure. Uh, this tale is told in two parts, the Book of Jake, uh, a.k.a. Fear and a Handful of Dust, and the Book of Lud, with three chapters apiece. Um, we start, however, with the argument, which is basically like a really nice little rundown of both the gunslinger and drawing of the of the three for those who hadn't read those books in a while. So that's nice if you need a refresher. Um, but I would say, I'd actually say, even if you had just read those two books, it's good to read that before going into this because there's so much going on in this series it's nice to get a little a little catch me up before uh you jump into wastelands yeah it's sort of like the netflix preview um i always like watching those you know recap oh, of previous absolutely. seasons absolutely no and also it points out to the creator you know what they think is important enough that you should be paying attention to so it's always helpful for you know foreshadowing that's coming up i felt like breaking it up into the two parts that it does it, it's funny to me because i feel like it's more it doesn't feel like like one half and another half. It really feels like four different parts where it's like Shardik and and the race to get to the Jake section. And then that's like part two. And then three is kind of like river crossing and, and Lud. And four is like the conclusion of Lud and Blaine, right? Yeah. I mean... It, to me, it feels like that a little more. Absolutely. I, I feel like you can really distinctly break it into parts, almost like this is an entire season of a show and you have like four different episode arcs, um, separate distinct locations, challenges. It you know, it could also be a video game, I guess. Um, but that's just how my brain views things because uh, my brain is bad now. As an adult, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's a definite departure from the way that Drawing of the Three is, but it's also a departure from the Gunslinger. And I think that's the thing that I like the most about this series. As we continue, um, the structures always change. It's not boring. It's not, you know, plain Jane. You feel like you're reading something new. And, and, and like you said, it is kind of a, a bit of the world's longest book in a sense. But the, he, he does shake it up in that in that way. It's not just like, okay, here's an, you know part three, part four, part five. You know what I mean? Like, uh, which I think is cool. Yeah, Drawing of the Three is kind of a fever dream. Because Roland's got the infection, Eddie is going through withdrawal. The pace is really it quickens, and it, you know there's a ticking clock in a way. Oh, and this one I feel like uh, Andrew Quick and TikTok man. Oh, is that what you're, you're yeah. alluding to? TikTok. <laughs> um, but this one now, you know, the dust has settled a little bit. Uh, I'll show you fear and a handful of dust. Yeah, Wasteland oh, reference. Oh. Uh, I, I, speaking of Roland and all of his ailments, uh, I think we're going to move into our next category called. Heroes and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Roland, who is constantly in pain and turmoil. Just when you think he's better, he's now, this entire book, or at least half the book, he's going 
insane. What do you think about our 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 hero this this book? Yeah, I mean he switched from physical ailments to mental ailments, just one on top of the other. Um yeah, he's in some ways he's very contiguous as a character like he just is the same old Roland like steady st- a steady Eddie if you will uh when they oh no that Eddie is not a steady Eddie hold on I just confused myself <laughs> the point is is um I mean I I really I enjoy reading his you know mental decline and and just because I th- I think that it mirrors Jake's and um really the point of it is to lead up to when they reunite um in this one he it feels like he's paying the wages of sin for what he did to Jake and Gunslinger. In some way, I feel like that's Roland's whole deal is he has to suffer and suffer and suffer for what he's done. Yeah, Dan, do you think that the... Did you enjoy the the doubling aspect with and the re-entry of, of Jake? We'll get to Jake in a minute, but uh, but do you think, do you agree with Lara that the with the the suffering of Roland throughout this series almost? Yeah, I mean, it's he's, it's painful parts just to read what this guy's going through, but there's a bit of a, the paradox here of in one reality, Jake is alive and one he isn't, and they have to close that in order to kind of move on with the mission. But in the meanwhile, Roland is not sleeping He's tossing and turning. He's having night terrors. He's just not having a good go here. And rightly so. I mean, he let this kid die. He dropped his death. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're like, oh, sad, sad, poor Roland. But, you know, he did he did inadvertently yeah. kill this kid. So yeah. it's and, like and I, I think he's like, getting what he deserves, I guess. When he fought court, his teacher in the uh, Dark Tower. Yeah. Or Gunslinger. They're all blurring yeah, together. Yeah. That, in the that Gunslinger deal. book. But he sacrifices his pet, David. And I think that really sets the tone that he, this guy is willing to throw anything at his mission he doesn't really care and this is it's starting to catch up with him a little bit now which is also interesting because there's an there's an illusion of david and another character uh later on that we'll get to um so let's just walk through Roland a little bit on this journey uh i thought it was interesting on page 74 he talks about john farson and the civil war which ruined gilead which you hear a lot more about farson in the next book and that whole situation in wizard and glass um but he also says it took him 20 years to ride from Gilead to the Western Sea. And I always love when they throw these things in there because you never know. It's just it's just such a color. It's just such a coloring of that world. The fact that, you know, I, I mean, my grasp of, of Earth is pretty easy and we know we can like, you know, get around the Earth in, in a certain in a matter of days, a matter of hours. You know what I mean? But on top of that, 20 years and he was, and they were like, "Oh, they're trying to make excuses for you." And he's like, "No, no, no." He's like, "Nah, bro, I was on a horse the whole, the whole time, and maybe I stopped here and there, but you know, it that's just like the span of Midworld is epic." And I, I also think it's almost like stretching a rubber band too, where the distances keep increasing, and I think there's some trickery going on here. And I wonder also if you're on the path of the beam, if that shortens or elongates. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a shorter path; it's a more direct path. But when you're not, because, you know, just traveling to the Western Sea, obviously, he wasn't necessarily on the path of the beam, per se, unless, you know, he was when he was following uh, uh, Walter O'Dem, whatever that he was going towards the tower or something like that. But yeah, I mean, my my understanding of it was that, you know, because the beams are degrading, everything is degrading. The beams are the only place where things are even still holding together a little bit and everything around it is stretching and eroding. So he needed to get to the point of that you know, it happens in this book where they, after they defeat Shardik, Shardik, Shard, oh God. Shardik, yeah. Shardik, I just, let's not talk about it. Um, and, <laughs> Disgusting. And, Can't yes. wait for the cemetery. Yes. Um, 
you know, that's when they find the beam and get on the beam and then things sort of speed up, which also comes up in throughout the series, that sense of sometimes time seems to stop and then it speeds up again. And um, I, I do think the beams are to, you know, a, playing a big role. Yeah, no, and we're going to have a lot to talk about with the beams in our King's Dominion section or, or things we glean along the beam section for the Dark Tower uh, books. Um, I also think it's it's really great, the introduction of uh, how Roland's able to kind of keep the voices at bay with the key, and we'll talk about that a little bit more with Eddie. Um, Roland, he's got some, there's just some great moments with Roland in this book, um, but I love the one section, the one part I really love is when uh, when he shows up towards the end and Gasher is there, and he's like, you, and he's just like, me and blow his fucking head off it's so good it's like so good a little bit of legit badassery (laughs) yes yes um but uh roland's great i love him in this book he's he's just as good i think the best part about this book is it's the true the true now we have the gang you know it's like drawing of the three was all the work to get here now we can have fun watching the interplay watching them become gunslingers and kind of the recapturing of of uh, a redrawing of Jake as well, which I think is just so cool, you know, and oi. We actually have a Billy Bumbler in the studio today. That's, Bentley that's the Corgi is here. <laughs> so if you guys hear anything, that's just oi chiming in. Yeah, oi, the thing of uh, thing of evil. But I, I think too, though, with the getting, you know, the band's gotten together. I think Caffrey said that about the last book. It's getting the band together. Yeah. yeah. And now we're starting to train. And I think the book even opens with them doing target practice, but yeah, he's training Susanna. bullets yeah. are so precious. You don't actually fire. And I've always wondered if that is how, I don't know if you could learn to shoot a gun by just pointing and clicking and apparently how you know? because when Susanna starts opening fire on Shardik, she's just like blowing him. Away. Yeah. And she gets thrown into it and she's on Roland's shoulders Ugh. and he pretty much has to trust her to shoot the giant bear robot. Oh gosh. I can't what wait. A stressful, Cannot wait to talk oh, about man. Let's, uh, let's let's jump to uh, that old bear robot as uh, since we're uh, kind of going over here, Shardik the bear or or Mir as it were. What do you guys think of this first introduction of? Do you, I remember when I was first reading this book, I saw the picture uh, the the picture in in this of of Shardik with the the satellite dish on its head and just thought what the fuck it's such a nuts idea and the idea that he's also some kind of terminator almost he's a robot on the inside with like skin and living tissue on the outside uh what do you guys think about this this beam creature and 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 what what a beam creature is i mean i guess we could talk about that a little bit too yeah well i i love the descriptions we get of of shardik um and going to his his cave and and hearing a little bit of his story how he's been for how long he's been there and there was this whole civilization that rose and fall and they feared him um and it it's sort of I, i think it introduces us into this running theme of sentient machines um machines that seem to have self awareness and um a reflective sad quality to them um because as disgusting as this creature is we get his perspective for a minute and 
it makes you sympathetic to him, or at least it made me sympathetic to him, um, because, you know, he's he's suffering, he's full of, like, maggots and shit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just really stuck on the, like, sneezing and the worms coming out. Oh, like, that yeah. will haunt, haunt me to my ugh. grave. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting concept. It's a very interesting mashup of lots of different sort of sci-fi ideas and fantasy ideas, and um, the little the little satellite dish on the head is 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 good and yeah it's funny when i first read this you know i thought it would play more of a major part and then rereading it you're like okay this is just a little side quest i think sometimes you got to spice things up by throwing in a monster or some kind of creature but the cool thing is too the the so that every beam has a animal i don't know sigil guardian so you have bear and turtle horse dog fish rat elephant wolf lion eagle and then bat hare and you know it kind of reminds me of like a you know, astrology or zodiac calendar, but mm-hmm. it's just each of these creatures has been sort of guarding or maintaining the beam. But even now, Shardik is half cyborg. He's sneezing maggots, which is a disgusting visual. And I don't, he seems like he's pretty much out of his brain. Yeah, no, he's, he's lost it. He's, he's in pain. And I do, I, I, I agree with you. I think once we kind of get to the dead rotting corpse of, of Shardik, you just you do feel bad because he's just lost his mind. He's not intentionally trying to hurt anybody. He's wandered from the door. He's no longer really protecting it. He's just kind of doesn't know what he, what his purpose is. And with the beams breaking, it's it's crazy to think these guardians are also breaking down as well. And and what do we think about the the, the great old ones? They they mention a, a few times. Uh, it's interesting to me to think that the. These beam guardians may maybe were not there at the beginning, or, or the tower. You know, they they introduce a lot of lore that that they just kind of hint at, which is great because I don't even know if they answer some of this stuff by the end of the of the books. But it's not it's not it, unlike Lost. Uh, <laughs> this is more about the characters and not about the mystery of the world. They're, they 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 introduce a lot of the world and keep that mystery there. But I think that's great because you need to, because it definitely is more about these characters and where they are from point A to Z rather than, uh, finding out exactly who created Shardik. Although these days, you know, the adaptations coming where it's like a prequel series about Shardik being built. Yeah. I hope we really <laughs> get into awful. that. You know, when they first encounter him, you, you think, Oh, we're going to encounter 12 different animals during the course of this book. But that doesn't happen. They just reference them. Shardik, as I recall, is the only guardian that we really see. And I think maybe a lesser writer would have been like, well, now I have to you know, check every box here. I have to do 12 battles with giant animals. And that does not happen. Th- that's very true. You, you really think that we would explore all of that because there's, what, seven books, you know? And, and, and they never explore that. Yeah, <laughs> you it, know? it would like, have been a lot of filler. It's not important. Yeah, they don't like, go over that. You could have got a lot of chapters out of that, but... It's like, okay, we fought the giant monster. We're good. And I, I like to, the, the, it is very like action packed because Eddie has to climb the tree to escape it. And the bear is, you know, swatting at him as he goes up the tree. Yeah, let's, let's jump back to our band of heroes and talk about Eddie and Susanna. We'll start with Eddie, though, um, climbing up that tree. Eddie Cantor Dean. Forgot he had a middle name. Uh, that's a great trivia question in the future uh, for people to remember. What is Eddie's um, middle name for a round of shots? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, no one will get it. Uh, he, can I, he, can I a, just, sorry, can I interrupt really quick? <laughs> so we did trivia Stephen King recently, and oh, yeah. I took issue because the host at one point said, how many years between uh, does it 
take, you know, in his hibernation. And it's 27 years. And he said, we also would have accepted 30. And that's like what? a, that's a hard number. Hell no. What? I did not agree with that. That's ridiculous. And I heard about that as well. And it's really sad. And um, we need to find these people and hurt them. They're cowards. I'm not going to, I'm not actually condoning violence. I don't think we're actually going to track this person down, but, um, but if anyone does do trivia, a Steam King trivia and they, they try to pull that kind of number, definitely remind them that it's, it's 27 is a hard, a hard number. (laughs) (laughs) Another, you know, I will say the only other beam creature that we do get introduced even further, uh, is the turtle and you get a lot of that and we'll go into that as we continue. Um, but uh, yeah, so Eddie's uh, climbing up this this old tree. He's scared to death. Um, we get a lot more about Eddie and Henry. And even though Henry's dead in this book, we do see a lot more. I love Eddie's trajectory on this because he's starting to realize that he truly is a gunslinger. We see him kind of leave his naivety and, and, and his childhood behind in this book. He, you know... He has a real purpose. I mean, just from the whittling of the key. I, I mean, I just everybody has a purpose in this book, and you see their contribution to the quartet, uh, which is um, which is another thing. I've got here a, a dictionary of uh, of all the old world words, um, and I just want to run through these real quick because we're going to continue to talk about all this stuff and just to you know uh, get this in people's heads. Uh, old star is north. An old mother is south. Ka is our destiny or our fate. Uh, tet is a group of people with the same goals. So Ka Tet, so that makes sense. And that's the uh, little group with Roland and Co. Um, another thing I thought was really funny. Uh, well, I'll, I'll leave that for, for Aunt Talitha. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's something called the white. And they, they bring up a lot, which is real fun. Um, Kef is life force it's also uh, a joining of the minds between content members and one of my personal favorites is thank you uh we'll be saying that a lot through the rest of these uh books thank you, thank you sai uh which is funny because i i've always said thank you sai but it's just thank you sai is the character's name you know <laughs> i always thought it was thank you sai was the saying <laughs> but yeah uh, I, I have so many group chats and threads and we always when somebody you know it's like hey can you get that for me thank you Cy. <laughs> uh and then we also realize that um the the word char uh, means uh death uh which is um a fun little charlie the choo-choo reference um and also another another favorite i forgot about was uh roland saying watch me as saying uh we have a deal I like that. But I don't think they, they, he does that very much in the rest of the books. But I, I thought that was like a fun little piece of slang that they worked in there. Um, Eddie, of course, uh, not a lot of slang, but they do mention that Eddie and Susanna have now started to pick up on Roland's uh, speak, which I think is great because that's how it is with your friends, with your best friends. You know, you start hanging out with one another and you start to pick up on little idioms and little things and, 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 and start speaking like them a little bit. A lot of people when they're around my, me and my friend, Chris, uh, my best friend, Chris Cicevito, they always say that we sound exactly the same, or at least his wife does. And I never pick up on that, but we live together for years. So it's very funny to think that the little things that you pick up on are just the way you speak as well. Yeah. My, my buddy, Dan Caffrey, fellow loser, um, growing up, he speaks so rapidly, like his brain works really quick. 
And there were times where I had to translate for him where he would be speaking at someone and they would say, I don't know what you're saying. And I was like, oh, he's trying to get across this. And he's the kind of guy, too, that me and him would both be speaking at the same time to one another, but we'd communicate that way. Um, but yeah, it, you're right, though. You pick up on these little like ticks that people have. And it's kind of nice with Susanna and Eddie because Roland is the outsider and they're kind of thrust into this world, but now they're starting to kind of get their bearings and it's like, hey, this fucking guy, he's a little strange. Like he's got something going on. And I think what's cool is in the cur- or course of the story, they're starting to pull more of Roland's mythology out. And at a certain point too, they're like, look, we got to sit down and just have you explain shit. Yeah, I love it. They say that multiple times, like, when are we going to get your story? And he's like, one more day. He's like, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll tell, well, that's another story for another day, which is great because that's pretty much the majority of the next book. Uh, it's like, you, you got what you asked for. You know, I would say 90% <laughs> of the Wizard and Glass is a backstory. <laughs> so, um, but it's one of the best. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to touch a little more on um, Eddie and Henry and how that kind of emerged. I, I just think it's it's interesting because normally I would like be like, oh, we already got this. We rehash we're just rehashing their relationship from the last book. But I think it has symbolic weight in this book because as he's coming into his own, he's sort of purging or exercising the last of Henry. You know, maybe not the last of Henry, but most of Henry from him as he's sort of transforming into gunslinger Eddie instead of like, you know, addict Eddie. Um, so I, I think that especially the way that they actually appear as their younger selves and Jake gets a glimpse of that um, has it just ha- it, ha- it it does something for the character. It makes you sympathize with him even more and um, makes the moment when he succeeds with the key have more gravity. Absolutely. I, I think another huge thing is th- when we find out that he had a sister. And is that is this the first time we find this out? I can't remember if they mentioned her uh, at all in Drawing of the Three. I think it is in Drawing of the Three that we learned that. I could be wrong because again, they're all bleeding together. But I'm almost positive that we get a little more, we get some of that I early know, I, I stuff. Think, I think you do. In yeah. But in terms of like finding out like that that she died in a car accident, uh, you know, watching hopscotch, and it's just it's like brutal because she was like she was four years old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's weird to, to know there's another member of the of the Eddie clan out there. Um, I think that Eddie's trajectory in this book is instrumental. Roland kind of talks about him as being uh, David, as being like the hawk. And I think that that's really interesting. And also, um, I think Cuthbert, right? Not L- yeah, I, I no. Him, but he's, Cuthbert was kind of a smartass. And, you know, Roland has very little patience for humor. But he does, and they get into it in future books, that sometimes it's nice to have... a charming diplomat around and i think eddie kind of does keep the morale even when he goes over and makes too many jokes he still you know he adds a little bit of levity to things and it helps the group the cuttet yeah yeah and and then also the just the idea that uh that roland's kind of replacing his old cuttet they even say like i think elaine is very much like Susanna, and they just I've, I've never really picked up on that, but I, I kind of love that because I love those characters and we get more of them obviously in the next book. I think we get a bit of um, Jake having the shine a little bit or the touch, which is, I can't remember which of Roland's original quartet. Was it Elaine? Elaine. Yeah. Elaine. It's, it's, I love it too because it's all, it's all like uh, names that are spelled slightly different. So I'm like A-L-A-I-N. I'm like Elaine. And then... My friend Lenny, my, my brother's friend Lenny, and we grew up with him. 
he re- he listened to the audiobooks and the uh the audiobook person that was reading would always pronounce Cuthbert as Cuthbert. Yeah. <laughs> and I really hope that that is the actual pronouncement of it. Yeah, Cuthbert but... Alien and Roland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Roland. Approach uh, Gilead. Uh sounds like Tim Heidecker's here. Uh <laughs> Um yeah, but I think Eddie also it's this great connection because somewhere along the lines he actually met Jake and that blows my mind as well. I love that kind of weird disconnect that is now connected in this book that doesn't need to be there but I totally get it and buy it. And the the idea of Dutch Hill and the mansion uh being this haunted house, this kind of um I wonder that made me wonder because it is kind of like a doorway that's being protected obviously by this like demon thing and that's that's going to be instrumental in getting Jake back to Midworld with our gang um but do you guys think all doors are guarded by some kind of entity or oracle or something because a lot of them in drawing the 3 are not so what's so special about this one being protected or is it just happened to be the house and we were talking about that a little bit before we started Laura yeah, I I was unclear on that if there was supposed to be some kind of internal logic or reasoning for it because, you know, at, again, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but in some books we get the thinnies at, at sort of the, the passage between worlds and the ones that Roland finds, um, they almost feel like shortcuts or cheats, you know, like, uh, and, and it was it was Walter that even allowed him really to gain access to them or that was how I read it in the last book anyway was that like you know or you know he had the the palaver with Walter and Mm -hmm. um that was what led to the him being able to find the three doors so it suggests that they were more like man-made versus these you know eternal doors that are that have their guardians um yeah trailing off no yeah thinking Mm -hmm. on, on that point I think it's also interesting that this is a door that is created by the Cotet. I mean, Eddie draws the door. He like, kind of forced this door into existence through using the Oracle, uh, the Oracle Circle. And so it's almost like this door shouldn't be there. And that's why it's kind of on both fronts protected by, you know, some kind of evil entity, uh, which I, th- I think is also pretty cool that when the Cotet's there and they're strong enough, they can create a doorway. And which is a reference without spoiler to book seven where drawing things into reality becomes a big part. Very true, very true. Um, Eddie also discovers the snakes, the electronic snakes and North Central Positronics Limited. Now, I love North Central Positronics. I mean, they, they created some of my favorite giant bears like Shardik and other strange robots that we'll meet. Uh, what do, you, do you guys love North Central Positronics as much as I do? I do, and I actually follow a subreddit called <laughs> Shitty Robots, and it's just robots that probably shouldn't exist or are really crappy. So the idea of these animals just having a miserable existence, you know, the snake is just like not even wiggling. It's just like convulsing. and <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all created by North Central Positronics. Uh, uh, robots have no real purpose, or at some point did. Uh, no, I love that. Uh, there's there's a T-shirt I, I found the other day of just 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 North Central Positronics. It's like a strange logo. I, I've got to get it. <laughs> it's yeah. so obscure. That's a good deep cut. So obscure. Um, I think uh, 
they they also mention page one seventy one, the last starfighter and the dark crystal, when kind of talking about the the look of the world, um, which I thought is interesting. I always just love when they throw uh, stuff like that in there. And the dark crystal is very pertinent right now with the new series that just came out on Netflix. So uh, if you've seen the dark crystal, you've probably seen a little bit of what Stephen King thought Midworld might look like. Can I do a little side jag here for a second? Sorry, yeah, I'm no, filling in the void. Uh, sure. So the time that I remember becoming cognizant involved the dark crystal because I was about four years old and I was at a video store and I was like, mom and dad, I want to rent this movie. And they were like, you rented this two months ago and I had no recollection of it. But then I was like, oh my God, like I'm starting to get memories now. Like this is now I'm remembering. It was a big moment in my life. (laughs) That's crazy. Maybe you were actually hit by a car and, um, then in that timeline, you watched the dark crystal, but Dan was doubled. Other, yeah, you, you got doubled, buddy. You're a double Dan for like what, like two months, <laughs> and then you that you weren't insane anymore when you were able to get Dark Crystal back in your hands. <laughs> That's all it takes. Uh, okay, well, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about Roland and Eddie as we continue, as well as North Central Positronics. Uh, but let's move on to Susanna Dean, who is at the beginning of this book, being trained by Roland, uh, clearly. Uh, the best gun of the group, uh, which which I love. It, it's like Susanna to me is kind of a, a, a bit like Bev, you know, like she's just like an ace with the weapons, which is great. I think that's so cool for this character. I, I really like that in this book she gets more agency because she's not like dealing with having, you know, these two personalities warring within her. She's getting to be Susanna and not Odetta or Odetta. Um, she, so she's really coming into her own in a lot of ways and it's really good to see her just gunslinging away. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want more and more of that Susanna. Like when I, and she also, she like Eddie has some very distinct moments of purpose between it sort of bookends the book, like taking out Shardik and then being able to figure out the, uh, she, I, she, she goes into her mind as Detta to solve the, the thing on Blaine, the, um, the little, yeah, the yeah. little, what you know? Words oh, yeah, yeah. Are the the, the console, the, yeah, yeah, the number yeah. console. Yeah, the thing. So, the thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You have her. Roland's teaching her the face of your father lesson in the beginning, which is just really cool. Uh, I love that line. It's page thirty-one of the Plume Book, where she's about to blow away Shardik, and she says, "I kill with my heart, motherfucker." And yeah, I was just like, I "Yeah!" That. I'm like, "Yes, she is a gunslinger." Yeah, like, like she is the killer tried instinct. and true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she's also the one. I mean, she's the real hero of this book. She's also the one that, like, you know, takes on the Oracle and then turns the fucking around on him, oh. which is could be really, really. That's a we'll talk about that scene yeah. in Cemetery. But the way that that turn, she turns, she flips it and is like, "No, fuck you!" And then like you see the demon weakening. That's pretty fucking awesome. And then, uh, you know, and then yeah, and then she's the one. She she leans on Detta to find the the prime number sequence to get onto Blaine before they all get blown to hell. I mean, she is hugely the hero in this book. Mm-hmm. And it's so great because, you know, they they never they never once in all those sequences the her handicap doesn't enter into it at all. You know, she's there and she kicks ass. It, it you know, the, in terms of getting her from one place to the next, they, they sometimes there's some trouble. Mm-hmm. But I love that they give this character so much more in this book in terms of that kind of stuff going yeah, on. It's just I, awesome. I, I realize while reading that I forget that she doesn't have legs for large portions yeah. of the book, which is awesome because you're just seeing her as a fully fleshed out character. No pun intended. Uh, I mean, it's it's a, it's rare that you 
get a character like her in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, and, and she, yeah, it's good. No, and I also agree because in the drawing of the three, we get so much talk about her and her disability and being in the wheelchair and just them trying to, you know, get her over these mountains and stuff. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, we got it. So now this book, we can kind of just focus on the character, which I think is perfect because that's exactly what we do with those, with those two, with Eddie and Susanna. Um, and then now that we've gotten through our... our first half of the content, we draw another character, Jake. So Jake comes back. When you first read this, did you think Jake was going to come back ever? Do you remember what you thought when you first read the books? Did you think that Jake was going to end up coming back and be a a, a huge part of the the rest of the series? Or was it truly a surprise? I think once drawing of the three, once they kind of had to deal with him and Mort, Right, the killer. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, okay, I can see this guy maybe coming back, but I, you know, I, I didn't. This is the kind of book that you waste time trying to predict. Yeah, it's no, so absolutely. wacky. Um, yeah, Jake. I, I have mixed feelings of all the characters. He's the one I probably connect with the least. But don't don't aren't you have an like, inner kid in you still? No, it's long dead. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just, I, I just think he's. I mean, he's the heart of the group, I guess, in some ways. I don't know. I just don't really connect with him as much. <laughs> I connect with Jake a little bit. Did you, oh, okay. Didn't You're you the Jake wanna, of the group. Didn't I get you ever it. feel like you were a, little, a kid that felt like you were destined for bigger things? Like you could just walk through a, uh, open, go down a manhole and be in another world or something. Didn't you always think there was something around the corner that was just... I did not keep a go bag for when I was going to get my Jedi training. <laughs> that I did not do that. Uh, well, yeah. as we all know, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I did. And uh, fuck you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a separate discussion on Star Wars. But hey, great. Yeah, well, yeah. Disney's doing a good job. You must be happy. Oh, 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 you know what? Oh, God. You know, it's it's for the kids. Uh, and Freddie Prince Jr. had something to say about that recently. And if you can uh, YouTube that uh, that little rant, which is actually quite entertaining. Um, well, uh, Jake, uh, I think it's cool when we find out that Jake just got... The problem with Walter... Let's talk about Walter O'Dem slash Randall Flagg, uh, the big reveal in this book, um, really quickly, because there's not a lot to talk about. But he, the idea that Jake got more confused with him because he, they kind of both looked, or the priest, there was a priest there on the street when Mort pushes him and he thought it was the man in black because they were both wearing robes. And I think Mort is dressed as a priest and pushes him and that's why he like, you know, when he's seeing him hovering over him, he was doing it as all like, cause he dresses like trustworthy folk. And you know, everyone, you should always trust a priest. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but But I think that that is interesting that, I feel like there's so much like, okay, well, well, explaining away confusing things from the earlier books because they're still trying, he's still trying to kind of flesh out where this is going to go. And then I love at the end when he's just like, oh, Walter and Martin. Oh yeah. They're they're both, they're both one and and it's flag. And in, in, in just that one sentence where we find out it's flag, you, you're just like, okay, this all makes sense and I'm going to give it a pass because this is so great that it's tying in to uh to the stand yeah, and it's i think when he wrote it king uh he was leaving himself a few outs i don't think he fully knew who these characters were and he's actually gone back and retconned uh in the yeah, new editions yeah. of the gunslinger to make it clear that it is flag but i think you know he was just leaving himself a couple avenues of like well we got to bring mort back he could be flag you know the man in black could be flag and you know classic writing technique by this king. guy this guy 
he's just he's just changing along with the book in, in that sense it is like lost he's just going with it he had no yeah. real no real plan in sight uh it wouldn't it would annoy me more if i didn't enjoy this series so much i don't know what it is it's all these things that would piss me the hell off with like any other series any other writer but i, I don't know it's just enjoyable because ugh, i don't know there's something about the dark tower you also kind of give it a, a bit of a pass like you were saying because after the third book we didn't think that there was going to be any more you know i say that as if i was reading them at the time but a lot of people didn't because he just never went back to it forever and then I don't think he went back to it until after his accident. Yeah. So uh, the just I think people were just happy to see it resolve. Um, and I know some people have some hot takes on some of the future books, but obviously we'll wait to talk about those. But getting back to Jake, <laughs> um, sorry, Walter. Uh, I love that sequence when Jake's like opening the doors in the school and uh, – yeah, he opens up the the girl's bathroom door and he's like, "Oh, sorry, I thought it was the desert," and like leaves. Like there's just like all these like great like little bits like that. Um, he he starts seeing a lot of the turtle, uh, with the graffiti of the the turtle slogan. Um, guy gets to to view the rose, and I think that's another reason why the Dutch Hill Mansion is so close to where the rose is. And I think that mm-hmm. there's 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 protectors around. Whenever roses show up, I feel like there's like some kind of protectors there, like you know, you can, like like the dandelion in the future, and that's that's a little um, nod to something in the future book as well. Um, I think one of my favorite parts is when Jake is having the visions around the rose, and he sees Allie from the Gunslinger. Like yeah, that in the was weeds. unsettling. That's like really creepy, and it's a that's a deep cut too. You know, you got to be a tower head for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, a real tower uh, head. But just, I, I just that the whole Jake section could be really boring and drawn out. But I just found it really interesting. His whole essay, and then when he reads it, and it's all about the Dark Tower, and you know, and I just, I love that how that kind of just comes out in him as he reaches the mansion and things. Like he just feels like, you know, like like the mansion's alive. Like like things start as he reaches the door, things just start to get nutty, and things continuously get more and more. Uh, kind of like a pat on the back to him in terms of knowing that there is something else else out there and he was right the whole time. Yeah, and on the topic of the essay, so he turns in for a homework assignment, sort of a scatterbrain, uh, like William S. Burroughs rearranged thing of like, the tower is everything, it's this, it's that. It's a kind of poetry. And he's like mortified after, and then the teacher's just like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, "This is brilliant." And he's like, "Is this supposed to mean this? Is this supposed to mean that?" And I thought that was a really funny moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah, there... that's one of my fa- one of my favorite little moments because when I first read the essay, I'm like, "This reads like you know, con- you know, uh, beat poetry." And then then that's exactly the reaction the teacher has, and I was like, "Called it." Yeah. It, it just is an enjoyable moment. Mr. Brissett is a pretty good teacher. Uh, that that letter that he gets. Uh, from that one teacher that's like, hey, look, you know, we all have problems. Like, if you need an extension, you know, all this stuff, you know, like, I don't know any teachers that would have done that. You know, like, this kid must be pretty special. And, again, if if Jake truly does have the shine, then maybe maybe he's kind of, they just are noticing something else is, is up and a little bit more willing to bend uh, with his character. But, yeah, I, I, I dig Jake in this. I love that he comes back. I think it's just more like, food, you know, fodder for the canon. You know, like, I think... Ultimately, we're going to get, um, you know, I, I think the more the merrier because down the line, there's some real stakes there with who lives and who dies. 
or if people die, you know what I mean? Like you really are invested in the team and uh, who's going to make it to the end, you know? I just, I also think Jake in this story, I mean, he takes a lot of shit in this, over the course of this book, I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, we were talking about how it's broken up episodically. Uh, I mean, step one, he's dead but alive and remembering his multiple deaths and then goes insane Step two, he gets demon-doored into this world and has to face <laughs> off with this horrible monster that almost eats him. And then, like, step three, gets the shit beaten out of him by, like, a weird pedophile that keeps talking about his butt. And Oof. then, uh, you know, I mean, he just... Good God, I feel bad for this kid. Jake is very much like Roland. They're just constantly tortured. But Jake, for no reason. Yeah, he, you know? just, yeah, he didn't <laughs> do anything wrong. He's just, he's getting like tossed around. He's just getting the worst of it the whole time. It's like, why do you want to go back to Midworld where all this, you know, immediately get taken away by Gasher, you know, and just like, and then threatened the, you know, pedophile esque oh, stuff going yeah. on. Gasher's it's just, it's, just like, I'm going to stick it up, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to talk about Gash. Uh, but but let, yeah, dude, Jake, you're right though. He, he really does suffer. Maybe I'm softening on him a little bit. Uh, but all right. it, well, the thing is, we're going to get you there, Dan. But I associate with the movie. I really did not like the performance of the kid in the Gunslinger movie. Yeah. And he is a complex character in the books. It was just such a misfire. I'll save my rant. I, I've already talked. We, we will length. talk a little bit, though, about the adaptation because th- there's a lot of wastelands in there. Um, but let's round out our, our quartet with one of the best entries of the quartet. Another, a great drawing. Oi. Oi, the Oy. Billy Bumbler. Oi. 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 And I love how he gets his name by trying to say boy and he can't say it, which is great. I, always, I forgot about that, honestly, until I started reading this. He's like a raccoon weasel with a long neck, kind of a corgi, and he has parrot-like abilities. It is. It's really funny because I, I picture when I picture like them doing this in reality, if, if Oi was ever actually going to be on the screen... I just picture it being like like Miko, the you know the 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 raccoon from Pocahontas, you know, like <laughs> like like in in Disney animation style. Not even trying to make it look like it's really there, like just totally wackadoo and weirdly oh, on the screen. Oi has uh, is in definite danger of becoming the Jar Jar Binks of of the series, but he doesn't. I still like him. I like you know the little what? guy. Yeah, I think it's hard. It, it, it's one of those things where you understand why he's probably never going to be on the screen. Ne- they're never going to introduce Oi because it, it walks that such a weird line of being. However, I don't know. I mean, now that we get Guardians of the Galaxy, we got a raccoon talking and walking around and being, you know, and people just accept it and don't laugh at it. I mean, well, there's obviously parts where they laugh at it because it's supposed to be a comedic character, but I think that it could definitely work. I mean, yeah. in this day and age with, with the, the CG that they have, that kind of character could actually work really well. And he does play some importance in the series as it goes on. And, you know, kind of like the way Roland had David, I think Jake has Oi. And they create this bond that's very important. And, you know, they definitely save each other's ass a few times. Yeah, and I love the the idea that Oi is also... Or just Billy Bumblers used to be like these things that were really, um, you know, uh, present around the time, the old, the old days. And it, they were, they were known as like good luck if, if there were Billy Bumblers around and stuff. So I kind of love how always just a bit of this outcast. I think he, they say that he was something like bit his leg and they were like, Oh, it looks like another, another Billy Bumbler got sort of a dire leg. wolf. In this, and they, uh, yeah. They kind of, but they kind of a bit of an outcast, just like the rest, just like all of this crew. So it's, it's pretty perfect that they bring him in. Um, 
Now we talked about Shardik earlier, and, and I, I, I'm saying this because he, he's a protector of the beam. So even though he goes crazy, I still consider him to be a hero <laughs> of mm-hmm. Midworld. Um, but let's uh, let's let's move into uh, some of the more random characters, and then we'll get into some of the villains. When we get to River Crossing, we meet Antalitha and uh, the crew of just. Uh, uh, kind of mid-worlders that are still trying to live a life, still trying to make it on their own. They're not bad guys. They're not greys. They're not, we were calling them pubs or pubes. Pubes all the way. Pubes. <laughs> I, 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 that's how I was always reading it. Uh, so <laughs> River Crossing is very interesting because we get to see Roland truly being an old school gunslinger. And I think Eddie and Susanna see that. And, and then they really start to see like, oh, wow, there, there, it, there was a time where this was the norm and and they treat him like a knight uh, of the round table and which is also great because there's uh, this uh, there's no section for this so i'm just going to talk about it right now there's multiple times that they mention the round table and arthur and the arthurian legend and everything and obviously they they double down on that as as we go on but you know like walter is mentioned constantly in this book is the ageless stranger and they say that he's also known as marlin or marlin which is very interesting. Eddie mentions that Roland's companions have similar sounding names to those from King Arthur, like Elaine and Cuthbert. And those are just their names that sound like they would be Knights of the Round Table. Susanna mentions that the speaking circle looks like Stonehenge, which is also something that's tied very much to the Arthurian legend. Um, there's a whole bunch of that in this book, uh, not to mention Lord of the Rings references, as well as, uh, I mean, some of those are pretty plain. But uh, also um, a few Wizard of Wizard of Oz, but I'll talk about those a little bit later. Yeah, and on the Arthurian, because um, in Eyes of the Dragon, uh, Flag is kind of the antagonist, but they mention that he kind of goes into the woods and comes back every few hundred years as a different wizard. Exactly. And one of them is like Marlin. It, yeah, yeah. It, it's spelled. It, it's a totally a, a, it's definitely it's totally Merlin. the connection there, and then they're dropping, they're laying the seeds in this to get to that Flag reveal, which is great. Um, but Antalitha, what do we think about old Antalitha and her her interactions with Roland and Co? I, I, I like her. She's a tough old broad. And that, that's like an archetype uh, that I really enjoy where she's kind of the matriarch of this group. And, you know, she's old, but you're still afraid of her because she'll threaten to kick your ass. And I also like, you know, we, we, we meet Mercy and Sai, and uh, Bill and Till, the twins, which is kind of ridiculous. But um, that I like that little dinner sequence because, you know, I just love the description of all the food. It's like it's like a, it's like Harry Potter at Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> we finally get to actually get this great description of this this whole like meal. Like they're actually living and actually living pretty well. There's not a lot of muties involved in their town. Um, River Crossing, and I think River Crossing is it shows up in the Dark Tower movie as well, right? Yeah. What's funny is the neighborhood next to mine growing up. I lived in Hunter's Ridge, and the next door was River. Uh, excuse me, river crossing. Oh. So when I see things like this, I'm like, wow, the dark tower really is permeating our world. And you didn't, you don't connect with Jake. No, forget <laughs> Jake. But, uh, Oh, one thing too, though, with, I did like about that dinner scene is that they do call out that you see his diplomacy. Like Roland, like you said, he is more of a knight. He's not just a fighter or a killer, but he knows how to do these gestures and he's got these proper manners and etiquette. And you can tell he's really impressing the people when he pays homage and respect. But he also notices that, we can't stick around here because these people will put us to work. Hey, go fix the roof. Hey, we need help with the plumbing. And yeah. he's just like, we got to dip out. Laura, did you love River Crossing as much as we did? 
No, I, I mean, it's fine. I, I think it's it's sort of like it, given all the rest of what happens in the book, it's just kind of there for me. Um, I, it almost feels like it's there to one, just show that, you know, he is this knightly figure and give you a different perspective on him and do the fantasy trope of like, let's have a big meal and talk about things. Because I, I do think even in one of the intros, King writes about how he wanted this to be like a Lord of the Rings, like a vast epic thing. And so some things I think he's doing like purely as tropes. Um, that's why I'm like, meh, move on. Yeah. Let's get to Lud. I, I agree. I think that it's very exposition heavy in terms of explaining the the groups that are living in Lud and the prior war. Yeah, and, and I get why it's there and wh- what it does for the pacing of right. the book and stuff like that. I don't hate it. I'm just like, I don't know. When I was trying to think of all the characters and analyze them, I was just like, then you got the old sad Jerry. Okay. <laughs> no, no, and then no, like, the... they're just, you know, uh, all right. They're not. They're not. I mean, I think Antalitha, just because I like the name, <laughs> ring ring true with me throughout the rest of the series. But uh, I I I always thought that they met them in Lud. I forgot about River River Crossing altogether. Um, reading this the first time through, um, but I do like how they have a little pit stop. And I, I think the best part of that is when they leave, and Jake's like, "Why are we leaving them?" And, and they're like, "Well, if we if we stayed, it would only have been harder to leave, you know, later. Like like it's it's harder." The, the hard thing to do is like leave right now because you know they it's cut and dry. They're probably they're gonna who knows what their fate is, but um, I'm, I guess we kind of figure out their yeah, fate. They seem too. like they're kind of doomed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, moving up, moving from uh, the old uh, river crossing back into Earth, we have some rando characters like Calvin Tower who we meet, um, where Jake gets the Charlie the Choo Choo book and the Book of Riddles. Um, I love the bookstore scene too, because yeah, it's the, like you think of these two, you know, intellectuals just playing a game of chess that's probably taking three months to finish, and mm-hmm. it's like who hangs out at a bookstore all day and you know chimes in. And it's like, oh, pipe down! You don't know what you're talking about. Like, let the boy have the book. <laughs> and the name of the place is the Manhattan Restaurant of the Mind, which I always kind of love. And then obviously the blatant nod of Calvin Tower being, you know, I, I like when he mentions that later on. They're like tower what what you know like it's like this <laughs> tower. Is, it's so funny tower? <laughs> oh gosh yeah it really is that kind of that kind of reveal uh okay let's uh let's move into our villain section and uh get get to the nitty-gritty here let's go let's let's go through the min- more more minor villains first before we get to the big ones um gasher what do you guys think about gasher the introduction of that pirate gasher <laughs> Arr, he wants to get into that boy's butt <laughs> give me the booty boy uh I, i've been watching peaky blinders recently uh, and yeah yeah i imagine the tom hardy's character where it's just that thing like, oh, oh, you I, can't even understand what he's all saying right, Jack, yeah, yeah, <laughs> underground blah it's like indecipherable but it's i mean that's terrifying because it reminds me of like mad max you know it's funny though i i i totally picture you know uh, Tom Hardy from from like Revenant, <laughs> like his character from Revenant is Gasher. You know, I, 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 oh my gosh, um, yeah, Gasher is disgusting as hell. I mean, that's yeah, the, yeah. I mean, everything about him is as grotesque as can be. He's got like boils and pus, and he's like picking his nose and wiping it on things, and he's just like, I'm gonna get me your ass, boy. And like, yeah, I just he's like he's <laughs> terrifying. Like, legitimately, the moment when he gets taken by Gasher is like, for, like I'm just like, no, you don't give him away to the old rape man. Like, well, and I remember when I was first reading the book i did not like gasher's character and i didn't like what was happening in that moment because i'm like we spent half this book bringing jake back 
and just to be taken away almost immediately. I didn't like that twist. Um, I like that they wrap it up in this book, though, and that he's immediately back with them because I would not have liked if it, if it was another cliffhanger of Jake not being there. That would have been really dumb. Yeah, I the, the dramatic tension of separating characters and having them reunite, I kind of feel like once you reunite, let's move the story forward. Like the show Preacher... I love the comic, mm-hmm. but they keep separating the characters and you're just after a while you're like, just keep them together so we can move ahead. And not to harp on Lost again, but man, the last two, three seasons of that is just people constantly changing sides and going to the other crew or the, I'm with the, I'm with them now or no, I'm evil or I'm with them and it's like, Oh God, pick a side and let's move the story forward. Yeah, you know? it's more dramatic, like not will they get there, but have them get there and then have the characters react. To me that's more interesting and- than will they, won't they? And that's why I love the entire Dutch Hill mansion sequence, uh, just because finally they're all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess we could talk about Dutch Hill and the mansion and that villainy. Um, what did y'all like Dutch Hill <laughs> as a <laughs> as a mansion? Y'all like Dutch Hill? <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was tight. <laughs> yeah, I. It's funny because on the reread, I was less into the again the Jake parts and. I remember the first time I read it being like, wow, this is really exciting. This house is sort of a living, breathing thing. But on the reread, I was like, I just want to get back to Roland and the team. See, I disagree only because I didn't see that as more of a Jake part, as, as more of a, is more of a Henry and Eddie situation when they go to visit it and like just how scared they are of it. Uh, I think we all had kind of like a haunted house growing up that we all kind of thought was haunted or just some kind of landmark that probably was just some dilapidated old building or something. But I, I like the idea of working that in. I, I still, it still really resonated with me, but only because of when we get to King's Dominion, um, Laura had a, had an idea, which I, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I do like the depiction though of the, it's more in like the artwork in the books. Yeah. Of the, the house, like the boards, the two by fours are forming almost like a dragon's head. Mm-hmm. And they kind of did it in the gunslinger movie, but there's just certain, you can look it up online or we'll post it on our socials, but it's a really scary image of just like this living house kind of trying to eat Jake. Yeah. Hello, Bill Band here from the all eighties movies podcast to tell you about factor meals. Eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. Yeah, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the illustrations real quick that Ned Dameron does. The, I think I love these illustrations. Uh, I love how they change from book to book. Um, it's always someone else's perspective, which is great because if it was the same person doing it, I think it'd be like, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. But the fact that we're always getting a very subjective viewpoint of the world uh, and sometimes really abstract with Dave McKeon's artwork in the next book um, 
was there a particular piece of artwork that resonated with with y'all when reading this well i'll just say that it got completely left out of all the kindle editions which is a pity oh. you know i it's it's one of those things i kind of wish i had oh uh, yeah i mean i've googled and seen like that charlie yeah, the choo-choo yeah. and all this kind of thing i didn't realize that it was one artist doing this throughout the series so got um, nothing right no uh and and it's just just through this book each each time it's a different artist but oh. the I, the one that sticks to me the most is the, oh, this is what you're talking about, right? The picture of yeah. the the house and Eddie drawing the door, and it's just it's so great. It's not what I picture when I'm reading it because the description of the of the of the character, the Dutch Hill Mansion coming to life, is more like a human sized person, just kind of made out of wood and boards and things. Uh, but yeah, the artwork's great, and I, I my favorite though is is when they get to the wasteland stuff and you see the creatures and and Blaine uh kind of just like flying over the over everything and oh uh, yeah just the winged creatures and stuff and yeah, obviously like pterodactyls yeah and it's 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 really cool combined. and definitely adds to uh just the 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 world and and the lore uh the look of it i guess um but Dutch Hill Mansion i think's cool when Henry talks to Eddie about hearing uh the, the two kids from Norwood Street went in to bump uglies and the cops found them with their throats slit and blood drained out of their bodies. I kind of thought that was cool, the idea of vampires existing in this world. Obviously, as we move forward, that might be something you want to remember. Um, and then um, on page uh, 212, once again, uh, he, <laughs> he writes, once the door is closed, there is an illusion uh I'm sorry. He doesn't write. This is me <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> Once the door is closed, there's an illusion again made about a piece of wood sticking out of the ground like the sword and the stone. Is another mm. reference to the the whole um, Knights of the Round Table thing, which is which is just it's a fun little parallel, I guess. You know, in this alternate universe. But yeah, Dutch Hill Mansion uh, is is really cool. I will have more to say about that in the future section. Uh, but I, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a cool villain for Jake and, and the crew. Getting back to Gasher's boss. Gasher. The TikTok man. Jason Manzoukas. When From you... John Wick 3. <laughs> Wait, what? Is that, is that the name of the character it's in that? TikTok man, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, another TikTok is uh, the old uh, TikTok from Return, of, Return to Oz. Oh, yeah. Which is a very interesting, but... Uh, terrifying movie. Yeah, that, that is terrifying. But but TikTok's a good guy in that movie. Um, so David Quick is this character they talk about being uh, kind of like... Uh, um, who's who's the Joker that flew too close to the sun? Icarus. Icarus, yes. Thank you, God. Uh, son I of brush up on my uh, history there. Um, but he is, uh, his great-grandfather is David Quick, I think. So it's Andrew Quick is the TikTok man, and we learn that when we get to the section where Randall Flagg appears to him um, as, it's not Farson, but who does he say he is at that? I don't remember. It is something with an F. It's like, I'm Mr. Fellows now. I, I don't remember. But yeah, he, he's basically the same as the man in black. Yeah, it's Brian Fellows. Brian Fellows. Planet. Richard Fannin. Richard yeah, Fannin. The RF initials. Yeah. There's like seven or eight versions. Mm -hmm, where, But mm -hmm. if you see RF, it's Randall Flagg. I like the idea. I think the, the image of TikTok Man, I always thought he looked like Conan the Barbarian, but very sophisticated, or like He-Man or something. You know what I mean? Uh, but I like the idea that Jake mentions uh, when he when when he throws the knife at you know one of his peons and kills her, 
he says that he thinks that he's actually faster than Roland. And I like that because then you're you're like, oh, there's there's some villains here that might even be like a real a real possible you know threat to the group, um, which I feel like a lot of stories and a lot of books and movies don't do that. They're always henchmen, but you always know they're going to be easily killed, like Gasher. But you know, even though TikTok Man is very weird and kind of just this weird disjointed figure that doesn't feel like he belongs in this world. I I do like the idea that he he's like this formidable foe almost. He kind of reminds me of the villain in Highlander. Uh, there's yes, a guy with like yes. a leather jacket and he's bald. Yes, and he's uh, huge. Clancy Clancy Brown. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, Clancy, you're right. Clancy Brown. Yeah. He'd be a great TikTok man. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. We gotta One we other, gotta cast this. <laughs> another another uh, great casting would be Robert Zadar. Just putting that out there. Uh, okay. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Again, I didn't when I first read the book and even reading it now, I get it. But I didn't like the idea of Gasher and the TikTok man, that whole scenario. I think they could have just ran into like some gang fights in Ludd trying to get to Blaine. I don't think we needed all of this stuff because it, to me it kind of slows everything down again and the payoff isn't as – again, we split up the group again. Because, you know, Eddie and Susanna are off trying to find Blaine. And then you have Roland and Oja. And it's like, you, I didn't feel like you needed to do that. I think they all could have been together just traversing Ludd, trying to get, you know, almost like Escape from New York, you know? Yeah, I, I think that literally there's points in these books where King is just trying to make it longer. I'm convinced of this because he said something <laughs> like, I was set, like, he set out to write the world's longest you know, whatever you want to call this fantasy sci-fi epic. Um, and I, I literally sometimes I'm like, dude, he just it's my my one bone to pick with him, if you will, um, is sometimes I just wish he would take like one or two words out of the sentence because the sentences are awesome. But like you didn't need to put the second adjective in there. Just take it out, man. Like, just stop. Just like, can you just fucking put down the typewriter? Uh, but that's anyway, that's King for you. I mean, you love him. You hate him for for the same reasons, you know, um, yeah. he just he goes on. And I, and I, I agree. I think there's certain things in the pacing of these books. It's like you just could have just, you know, uh, abridged this whole thing. Yeah, I think the. That section for me is kind of neither here or there. I don't think you really need it, um, especially right after the Dutch Hill sequence. I think you could have done something else in Lud, or done the entire Blaine section in this book, and then you know because it, it's such a small part of both books. Um, but uh, not, not no spoilers. Uh, but uh, speaking of Blaine, let's get to the big baddie of the of the, <laughs> of this whole thing. Uh, who's in the book for like 10 pages, you know, uh, Blaine the Mono, a.k.a. Blaine the Pain, a.k.a. Charlie the Choo Choo, who is the Southeast Traveling Train. Uh, I think that the descriptions of Blaine are really cool. I like the fact that Jake, even though Jake, and this is how we know that Jake has a bit of the shine, is that even though we know Jake's been doubled and he has all these visions of Midworld and stuff. How does he know and why does he know about Blaine in detail before they even gets back to Midworld through the Charlie the Choo Choo book and the Brett that Beryl Evans uh, wrote, which is also a book that you can now get, which I really wanted to get and read before we did this pod, but I did, unfortunately did not get to do that. Um, Y'all like Blaine? <laughs> Blaine's, Blaine's a pain. There, so the Harry Potter ride, is it Gringotts? Yeah, in Universal. So when you're on the train, oh, you mean there's like or the connecting, the connecting, yeah, the Hogwarts was, Express. Yes, yeah, I've not been on it, but I've watched the video. Oh, it's ride really through. cool. Yeah, I've been on it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, but there's the LED screens, right? Yes. So when you look out, it projects 
Harry Potter universe, but on Blaine, he also has that. And at a certain point, he makes it turn invisible, so it just feels like they're floating above this horrible yeah. landscape. But Blaine sounds like such a dumb idea as a villain, and when you're first introduced to him, he's also very silly and just weird, and it's a little off-putting. But you, I'm not. I wasn't necessarily afraid of Blaine until they get on to Blaine. Because that all of that stuff and the idea of possibly crashing the train with them all on it, um, wh- what you were saying with everything disappearing, and then all of a sudden you just feel like you're flying over the wastelands and seeing all these terrible creatures, and I, I mean that that's horrifying to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean Blaine is is weird because I don't know why I like the character. In some ways, it's like you're getting you're scared of like the world's most evil nerd. Like you know, yeah. he's just and he's like so annoying and like just like let's do riddles and like you know and, the, <laughs> I, I, and everything about him is just unbearable. Um, but it works. I don't know why this evil nerd maniacal insane train. <laughs> he's a crazy train. I'm gonna uh, crazy okay. train. Yeah, I'm, I'll. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think you're right. I ended up really loving Blaine and he's kind of like a, he's got a bit of a, a, a fan favorite. I think that, um, again, the Lord of the Rings thing, it, it's very prevalent, you know, the whole golem and the riddles in the dark to get to the next section. And he's, you've got to defeat him with ri- the use of riddles and, uh, which is clearly a throwback to that. Um, again, that's like the tropes, like he has to get the fantasy tropes in there, but he does, he does it in a way that's like very self-aware, which is, it's just interesting. This whole thing is like a postmodern Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, And then it's, I think what's also one of the more interesting things about Blaine is that he has some real knowledge of our world as well. Talks in Humphrey Bogart and John Wayne voices. Um, he's gone crazy much like, again, North Central Positronics probably responsible. He's losing his mind. doesn't have, doesn't have an enemy anymore he was built to serve the people and the people started to treat him like a god so then he started treating them as if he was their god and it's it's almost like he's too perfect it's 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 skynet you know and i think that uh the idea of like little blaine talking and uh, which i think is really annoying in the book but (laughs) just like oh you know you're gonna wake him up oh you know (laughs) it's just like this really silly thing going on um, he gasses the whole city too, yeah. which is pretty insane. Yeah. And like, he kills everyone, and probably kills like everyone in River Crossing too. Yeah, Although they say something a... about like the winds maybe mm. protecting them, but they're dead. They're they're probably dead, right? Antilith has gone the way of the dinosaur. Um, but yeah, I I I think Blaine's a really interesting addition, and I love the idea that Blaine can read people's uh, you know the way they speak, and knows when they're lying. I mean, it's it's kind of terrifying. You can't do anything. He's constantly watching you, constantly measuring your heart rate and just everything. It's 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 Big Brother times 10. But I like how Roland, because he's so adaptable, and he's the one that kind of figures out how to address this AI that's super intelligent, right? He, he kind of stands up for himself, but in a way that's just like, I don't care about you. And you can see it intrigues Blaine, because he's never met someone quite like Roland. Yeah, where he realizes that, Oh shit! Like I'm not a god. Like I've just been kind of fooling myself. Then I forgot there was a time when gunsling. You know, like I served man basically. Yeah, and, and Roland kind of withholds some information, and he knows that the guy enjoys these riddles, and he just sort of, I don't know. He kind of finesses the situation in a way that you could see the other characters are looking at Roland, and they're like, "Wow, this guy really is pretty." And, and what's great about that too, Dan, though, is is the idea that even from Roland's perspective, he's still worried that Blaine's going to pick up on the fact. So even Roland is like scared of Blaine, which 
again, that really amps up the stakes and makes Blaine a, like a real formidable foe. Um, I also like the idea that Blaine is actually the one that saves Jake and opens the door for Roland, uh, which is maybe he's a hero of <laughs> Midworld. Uh, or that the the idea that uh, when he mentions playing the Waygog music, that that it's played on one of the levels of the tower. So it's like Blaine really knows a lot. I wish they could we could pick Blaine's mind more about the the world. Um, you know, if if this were like the early two thousands, late nineties, there'd be like a, a, a like a app on you know like a widget or something on on AOL that would be like ask Blaine questions. You know, like like the Googly Minotaur. You know that Radiohead oh. app you know, that was out there for or a while. A you could speak to Smarter Child, the the t- the chatbot that you would <laughs> yeah, talk the to, chatbot. and then It'd I would just chatbot. abuse. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, obviously we'll continue to talk about that character. One other minor character is Patricia, the other, the other train that commits suicide, which is very sad. Forgot about her. And Patricia goes, uh, she's like North, Northeast or North, South, whatever. The opposite way of Blaine. (laughs) Um, Blaine, uh, he doesn't have like a kind word for Patricia. Just kind of writes her off, but it's just sad. But Blaine is the first person to also mention uh, Endworld, where the Dark Tower is. So we know that he knows where he's going. Um, I also love the little map from Lud to Topeka. And I love that it's Topeka. <laughs> um, is is one of the, the, the other worlds of Midworld, which is strange. Yeah, which does tie back into the Wizard of Oz in the next book. Exactly. Um, and there's a lot of, I, I think I, you know, I'll just mention it here. But the Wonderful Land of Oz, page 59. Um, blatantly talking about Wizard of Oz. They just talk about um, re- how Roland, Roland's the Eagle Scout of Oz. It's like, yeah, like reaching to get to that, which is strange. They just mentioned that's the first time they mention it. Um, and then we talked about TikTok and just the idea of TikTok and Return to Oz. That's more of a room 237 for you. Um, but Blaine's also a bit like smog. Um, he breathes blue fire. He's this giant beast, you know, that's like stopping them from getting there. And then the whole golem thing. Um, Susanna mentions uh, that the wastelands look like the cracks of doom from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, and then Blaine is even referred to as Oz the Great and Terrible. Jake, Jake mentions that he thinks that. So it's just like there's a lot of little Wizard of Oz throws in, throw-ins there, which, you know, are important to remember as we continue. Uh, I think we've gotten through all of our characters, though. Um, if we think of any others that are worth mentioning, but I think that's pretty much everybody worth mentioning in this book. Um, a lot of new characters, which is fun, and a lot of new villains, which is fun. Um, pretty much the same same good guys, though. Except we bring back Jake. Gasha. <laughs> Gasha. Got a lot of that real gash. Um, so that moves us to our next category, which I believe is the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. So the cemetery is a creepy little place where we like to talk about what scared us about this book is there a lot of scary stuff in this book there's a handful of things uh we already mentioned shardik the bear dying falling apart uh sneezing 
weird electronic maggots and things onto Eddie's face. And uh, it is disgusting what's happening to that bear. I feel so bad for Shardick. Uh, what what else? Laura, you had something else? Yeah, there, there were a number of things. Sorry, I'm trying to look at my tiny, tiny notes. Um, I mean, like we talked about Gasher already. I did find him legitimately frightening just because of his brutality. Like, and, and pretty much, you know, the sense of going insane and doubling is somewhat frightening. It's not like, ah, I am scared in the sense of watching a horror movie, but it's unsettling. The The main thing is um, the, I, I, I hesitate to call it this, but I don't, I think it is like the, the basically the demon rape scene. Um, in the, in the middle where, you know, while they're bringing Jake through, um, it's, it's a complicated scene for a lot of reasons, but I found it obviously extremely unsettling because basically Roland is like, you know, if it's a chick, I'll, uh, this demon's a chick, I'll, I'll take it. And if it's a dude, like, um, take one for the team. And she's like, all right, uh, Susanna is, and when it actually arrives and basically she she you know air quotes lets it ha- you know happen because she's trying to protect Eddie from this thing while he does the ritual to draw Jake but the the way it's written um you know saying things like it uh it's pretty detailed fu- fucked with an icicle is is the 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 uh, phrase I chose to write down um, you know it's it's very visceral it sounds very painful and horribly traumatizing but she does sort of own it in the middle and is like no you know I, I'm not gonna let this just happen to me I'm going to dominate you um, while it's happening and, but you know just the way it plays out I found very unsettling and I, I also um, struggle with they don't really obviously it will play a role later plot wise but just in terms of the narrative of this book it's like after it happens like i don't know that susanna's reaction to it or or and other people's reaction to her um i don't know there there was something that felt not quite right about it to me just kind of like well did that let's you know uh let's carry on with the the quest um i i found it to be a very dramatically upsetting event to have in the middle of this of this book um I don't know. It's com- it's no, complicated. I I, no, I totally agree. I think it's it's horrifying what happens to her. I also think it's, it's when she's when he Roland's talking about well, if it's a guy, a guy you'll take it. If it's a girl, I'll take it. And, and then she says, you know, what if it swings both ways? And he's like, he's just kind of like winks at her, yeah. like, yeah, well, very heteronormative. Maybe we'll demon. we'll yeah. take we'll take them together, you know. And I, I think that that's kind of interesting. I kind of wish that's what happened. Yeah. And it kind of is, but it kind. But I just want to see that crazy threesome, y'all. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, but it, it's really uncomfortable and really awful. I do, you know. I think it's the reason. I think she's able to just kind of. They don't really go into the after effects of it, is because Detta is really the one that takes it on, and then Detta leaves. So you know, it, and Detta can handle that kind of thing, and and um, but it is uncomfortable. It's disturbing. Uh, you know, Roland gets you know, his and the gunslinger with the Oracle, you know, uh, has its way with Roland. And obviously, you know, this all comes together, but, uh, yeah, it is a hard, as a hard yeah. scene. It's kind of sequence. It, the, the little humor that isn't it is that the demon, as he's fucking her, she starts really fucking him. And you can tell it's like that. Oh, okay. This, uh, like trying to almost like pull back and she's just like riding him to death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we also feel bad for the demon. No, not at all. I mean, fuck up, Susanna. 
Uh, the spider attack in the mansion, I thought was really kind of creepy. Uh, I just don't like spiders. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of arachnids and that those things just like crawling down and just like biting Jake and things is just uh, like that really got to me. And also just the mansion monster, I think was really terrifying when I first read the book. Yeah. What, what the thing that scared me is more the sense of claustrophobia within the city. Um, when Jake is getting, you know, spirited away by Gasher, it's everything is so claustrophobic. It's just junky. Yeah. And you know that Roland is like, man, every minute that this guy is running with Jake, he's getting further lost in this labyrinth and it's less likely I'm going to get him. And the fact that ZZ Top is blasting <laughs> the Velcro fly song. That's the, the real time. horror. Of That's the, the real story, horror. Right? I don't like ticking clocks. I don't like noise when I'm trying to <laughs> relax. And the idea of a song playing on loop for decades is especially that song. Ugh. <laughs> Speaking of the old Lud, uh, the little Lord Fauntleroy child that runs out and tries to kind of talk to them, and then you realize it's like this strange (laughs) dwarf man that ends up throwing a grenade and blowing itself up. Like it's like the end of a don't don't look back or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. uh, Donald Sutherland. Oh man! Oh, if Donald Sutherland was in this, who who would he be? Young Donald Sutherland would have been good. Roland. No, but he could have been somebody. I feel like like a. It could have been Stephen Deshane. Yeah, yeah, like I his could dad, see, yeah. totally. I would Absolutely. actually. That was exactly what I first thought of because he's got that kind of quiet dignity. <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, we've kind of mentioned a lot of things that scare us. I think in talking about the book because there are a lot of really genuinely scary moments. I think that's really it for me, though. Was there anything? I mean, Blaine and and even just the idea of the wastelands is scary. Uh, that it's not even a nuclear war. It was something worse. They mentioned that. And I thought that was always interesting to me that like, what could be worse than nuclear war? And, and, and they try to describe it and it's, it's almost beyond our comprehension. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad they included the illustrations of the wasteland yeah. the monsters, because I do feel like we kind of blew past it. And you think of how much distance they've covered so far on Roland's quest. And then they on Blaine are just going so fast and they're covering thousands of miles, which it almost would have been interesting to see them have to traverse through the wasteland. Well, with and the they monsters. mention, and they kind of, and Blaine kind of threatens. Well, maybe I'll just drop you off right here, like with these pterodactyl creatures that you know, right there, and that's really creepy. And yeah, but um, I wouldn't be surprised though if, like, we have because Stephen King's so prolific, he might write a book that gets deeper into the wastelands. Like, I still think he's going to well, add I'll another t- Dark I've Tower. I've got something entry. to say when we get to oh. a Little King's Dominion. Um, yeah, but, uh, I think we're, I think, uh, we've all had a a bit of a chill. Uh, we're ready to leave the cemetery and move into our next section. Uh, we'll just briefly talk about some of the things that didn't work for us called misery. She, she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away. Slipped away. She didn't just slip away. You did it. You did it. You did it. I already said what didn't really work for me, which is the Gasher TikTok stuff. I think now that I know it's and it's just part of the story, I enjoyed it a little bit more this time around because I knew it wasn't going to be a huge part that it was going to be you know, buttoned up in this book and then we move on. Uh, I was able to enjoy it a little bit more and, and really read it and not, I think when we got there, I just felt like it was slowing down. I didn't care about these characters and I, I was a like, great, because I thought like this is where it was going. But then realizing that they're only going to be in that little section, I was able to enjoy it a little bit more. Um, 
But yeah, I think that's really the only thing I don't like about this book. It's a, it's, it's a strange, it, there's a lot that happens in this book and a lot of it I like, but the only thing I didn't really like upon the first read was, was Gasher and TikTok man. I mean, Gasher's creepy, but I just didn't like where the story was going because of the whole thing I said before with Jake splitting up from the group again. It just felt like, why did we even do this? Kind of like Mindhunter season two, if anyone's seen that. Uh, I don't want to say they introduced something huge in the end of that first season and they talk about it in the first episode yes. and then they never go back to it. It doesn't affect the characters at all. It's really weird. Maybe it does in season three. I don't know. But anywho, <laughs> that's my little uh, um, rant on the misery section of Wastelands. Was there anything that didn't work for you like flat out at all? This is a very tiny bone to pick, a pinky bone. Um, but I can't stand when Eddie says things like, Jesus, pumpkin pie, Christ, or uh, <laughs> weeping, creeping Jesus. Oh, geez, guys, uh, from Brooklyn. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I-, I can't. I just can't. It, it curdles my blood. I'm like, he ruined, he has that great line. Like, this like wasn't even released as a single, but he has to throw a G- Jesus, pumpkin pie, Christ. That's how people from New York talk, though. Hey, that's how people oh. from Maine talk, apparently. That's, that's, that kind of talk is in a lot of King books. I have a really uh, a really funny mention of one that one of Eddie's lines uh, coming up in this category, so get ready for that. All right. I guess I will gird my loins, as it were. <laughs> Dan, was yeah. there anything that just flat out didn't work for you? Um, I, I've gone kind of back and forth, and I'm not. it's not that it didn't work, but structurally this book is kind of strange because it yeah. starts with them fighting the bear. And you're like, okay, this is where this is going. Then they're traveling. And then Blaine really only gets introduced at the end. And when I think back on the Dark Tower, I always think of like, this is the Blaine book. But it really isn't. Uh, he almost plays a bigger role in the next entry, Wizard in Glass. And, you know, I don't, I don't really mind. I kind of see these as like one continuous essay. Right. But it is just a little bit weird how it's almost anticlimactic. Like the city gets destroyed. They're on this train, and then it's just like, stay tuned, constant readers, for the next entry. And if I was reading yeah. these when they had come out, it would probably be pretty frustrating. But luckily, I could just hop to the next book. Right, and it's a bit, of, it's like a little adventure serial, like you know, it's it's like the Deuce season two. You know, like it's it, everything always starts in the middle of like a scene. You know, like my brother was mentioning that, and that's how it is. Like we start off, and he's already training them. And Shardik shows up like immediately. You know, it's like you're thrust right into it, and then it ends on that cliffhanger. Uh, when I was remembering this book, I thought, which ends up being the first section of Wizard and Glass, was in this book. Yeah. So that's why I was taking a, a lot of certain notes and m- mentioning a lot of things because I, I thought, oh, we're going to get to that. I totally forgot that it ends halfway through the Blaine story and that we get most of the Blaine story in the next book. Yeah. I, so I've been reading Wizard and Glass and I had to actually pull back because I was nervous I would start bleeding oh, them yeah. together yeah, for this no. podcast. But yeah, in my mind, the story with Blaine had ended by the time this book was over but then mm-hmm. rereading it you're like oh no no they King yeah. really pushed it down the road I was like oh we only have 10 more pages off so they're not gonna wrap this up <laughs> like I guess and I, I, guess I really want to talk because I do love the final sequence with Blaine I think it's really clever yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, stay tuned yeah stay tuned for the next uh, the next book episode uh, whenever we get to that now here's the thing if you were fans I gotta I gotta think that one of the things that people didn't like about this book initially was that we didn't get Wizard in Glass for so long and you end on that cliffhanger. 
I would have been so pissed. I would have hated that that, I that had part that of the same book. reaction. I was thinking if I was reading these like in real time as they were published, I would have been furious. Yeah, yeah. And the idea that maybe Wizard Glass would not have even come about possibly, or that King was maybe gonna hang up his hat or had he died, like we would have never known and we would have ended on Blaine, you know? Yeah. But I, I do like though the sequence of book two, three, four, five. I think that's the strongest section of the series. I've said this before too, like book four. Oh, uh, Billy Bumbler just knocked something over. Um, book four is my favorite, but I do think looking back, the lead in from three to four is actually pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I do like that. It's funny because clearly there wasn't a whole lot we didn't like. We're now starting to talk about things we did like in the section where we talk about things we didn't like. But no, no, it's The thing true, I didn't though. like was that there was not enough to hate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, well, okay, well, we're moving out of our misery section into a section uh, that uh, you can be really long usually, so I think we're, gonna, we're just going to cut it down. It's called Word Processor of the God. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here and you hear me typing, or whether you don't hear me typing, what the, the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? And this is a section where we talk about some of our favorite passages from uh, the book. Uh, and sometimes we'll read some of these. I- I'm never great at this, but I did find a little section uh, I want to read. Um, it's page 33 of the Plume Edition where Roland ponders Shardik. And he says, or thinks, hello, stranger, he thought. Hello, old friend. I never believed in you, not really. I believe Elaine did, and I know that Cuthbert did. Cuthbert believed in everything. But I was the hard-headed one. I thought you were only a tale of children, another wind which blew around in my old nurse's hollow head before finally escaping her jabbering mouth. But you were here all along, another refugee of the old times, like the pump at the way station and the old machines under the mountains. Are the slow mutants who worshipped those broken remnants the final descendants of the people who once lived in this forest and finally fled your wrath? I don't know. We'll never know. But it feels right. Yes, and then I came with my friends, my deadly new friends who were becoming so much like my deadly old friends. We came weaving our magic circle around us and around everything we touch, strand by poisonous strand, and now here you lie at our feet. The world has moved on again, and this time, old friend, it's you, have left behind i like that little ponderance i wish we got more of those little ponderances from roland and i'm sure we do i just don't remember no yeah i i liked that a lot too because it it there are moments in this series when you actually reflect on how much time has passed and the fact that roland has seen all of his friends and family and everything he ever knew pass away but you don't it doesn't feel like a reality except for those little moments so that was that was tight uh Sorry. Does, does anyone else have a, a passage they'd like to read or, or a quote or anything that really stood out to them? There were just, I have a few little lines that I wrote down. Um, they're not as uh, impactful as, as that passage you just read. They're like just little moments that, yeah. again, I found. This one I just found haunting is when um, Jeeves and Maud are leaving Susanna and Eddie at the Cradle of Blood. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's just a little little moment. And so Jeeves and Maud are walking off and Susanna and Eddie are watching them go because they refuse to go into the, the train station. The two of them walked back in the direction from which they had come without another word. 
They did look back over their shoulders from time to time, however, and they were holding hands, Hansel and Gretel, lost in the deep, dark forest. Just that. Yeah, I just thought it was nice. No, I like it. I like it. Dan, did you have something? Uh, See the turtle. Ain't he keen? All things serve the fucking beam. Uh, I do enjoy that. It's very, like, folksy. Um, A lot of these are Eddie quotes, um, but this one I like because it reminds me of Jaws. What we've got here is a lunatic genius ghost in the computer monorail that likes riddles and goes faster than the speed of sound. Welcome to the fantasy version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> it's just so much in that uh, statement. Yeah, oh no. And and that's, Eddie's great because Eddie is really like one, any of us just constantly referencing pop culture things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, not not a lot to mine from this book. I think it's 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 well written. There wasn't a whole lot of it I was, I was that I found hard to read or was just like, oh boy. But um, but I really like that ponderance sequence. And then, yeah, just some of the more quiet moments, like when Maude and, and when they leave, like you just read, and then also when uh, when they're leaving uh, River Crossing, I think there's a little moment there that's really well well written and well done. Um, there's one more other quote, too, that I like that gives a lot of insight into Roland's character. And he says, uh, it's just that I take riddling seriously. I was taught that the ability to solve them indicates a sane and rational mind. There's a lot of foreshadowing there with how they end the riddle game. But it's also cool that, you know, Roland talks a lot about his teacher court was the best riddle solver and that every year they would have an annual riddle contest to win a goose and court would almost always win it. Uh, Again, this book is so... If if you're looking for anything that's introduced in Midworld and you're like, where was that introduced? It's probably this book. (laughs) Go back and reread it and and it'll clear a lot of things up. I know it did for me. I was paying a lot more attention this time around because I I just didn't realize how much information they were going to drop in this book about the lore. And like you were saying, in terms of trying to really build this world, it's, it's a bit like Goblet of Fire in that sense, you know, we're like, Oh, Midworld's actually all of this, and there's all these different people and clans and all these things, and it takes 20 years to traverse that. And you know, it's 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 a real um, uh, book builder. Uh, okay, is there anything else? Any other bits of writing or? I'll moments? read one last little quote, and that this is it. This is it, and then I'll then I die. Um, <laughs> this is just speaking to Jake's character a little bit. Um, Yet there was deep steel in Jake Chambers, as surely as there was deep steel in Eddie and Susanna. Now it flashed out its dour blue lighthouse gleam in the darkness. There would be no giving up. Whatever was loose inside him might tear his sanity away from him in the end, but he would give it no quarter in the meantime. Yep. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. Mm, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, yeah, it, there's just there's a lot of little moments like that, I think, in the book that are, that are really solid. Um and uh, we'd love to hear if uh, the fans out there have any that we did not mention. Um, feel free to shoot those to us. Uh, we love interacting with y'all. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move to our next category here, which uh, is very short, I believe. And I don't even know if you two have anything for it, but I'm getting really hot and sexy over here. And I want a piece of pound cake. After all you've been talking, everyone in bad mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. That's how I talk when I'm getting really, oh, really stop. horny and, and, and just randy. Heart. Pound cake. I've only got two bits of pound cake. Uh, page 96, when Jake <laughs> is in the classroom 
and uh, he goes into the closet and and he wa- he wants the other world to be there and it's not and he comes out and then Petra Jesserling, uh, she's she's down to clown as it were. She says, take, she whispers in his ear, "Take me in there with you next time. Then you'll have something to look at." I don't know any girls Ooh. that were saying things like that. To, maybe maybe like to other people, but yeah, 14, yeah uh, some no tween action. <laughs> Uh, I have, I have one, I have okay, one okay, quote, yeah. um, similarly disgusting. Um, <laughs> so this is when Jake is on his way, I think to Dutch Hill mansion, uh, and, and he's kind of wandering about the city, uh, and he's sitting on some steps and a cop spots him. Um, <clears throat> a young woman, probably not a librarian, judging from the green silk hot pants and see-through blouse she was wearing, came wibble-wobbling up the sidewalk on a pair of purple fuck-me shoes with three-inch heels. That's it. Just anytime, like, just the phrase fuck-me uh, shoes or fuck-me heels, and then just thinking, I just picture Stephen King, like, ty- typing that phrase and being like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's a little edgy. Like, tab, Tabby's, Tabby, wa- Tabby's walking here. Yeah, Tabby's walking by the window Bring bringing in groceries. Yeah. I also don't see oh. Jake saying that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because so this whole thing is from Jake's perspective. Yeah, but yeah. we just get this little insertion of <laughs> a little insertion. Uh, I just, uh. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just, I, I really just upset me and took me oh, out of God. the scene. Uh, my next. Oh, Dan, did you have anything? Else no, I can't. I'm not gonna talk okay, about. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dan's keep playing it close to the chest. Uh, page three forty one is the only other one that I really had. Which well, we already mentioned some the ga- Anytime Gasher's talking to Jake is just disgusting subtext. But Gasher. uh page three forty one, Susanna talking about something not being blown out, flirting with Eddie at the cradle of Blaine. They're like flirting and getting sexy in one of the most dire moments of the book. It's just so funny. Oh yeah. I, I remember that. And found, I was just like, must we? Yes. And they're both like, Oh, we, they, they're in their minds. They're like, we had to pull away. Cause like, we wouldn't have been able to stop each other. You know, it's just like their love, their, their hot, sexy love for each other. <laughs> um, but, uh, really that's, that's pretty much it. It's very mild for this book. Uh, um, King's King King got tired. He, he was he was in he was in the, the cemetery land for most of this. Not not too much pound cake. We got another book coming up, and there's definitely some pound cake in that one. Oh, some Ray of the Coos. <laughs> oh God, medical examination. Oof, Ooh. yikes. Uh, okay, so um, I'm I'm full. I've had my fill of hot, sexy pound cake. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're gonna move into our next section, which is always fun, called King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. King's Dominion is also known as the things we glean along the beam, which are anything that talks about other Stephen King books and or other other interesting things, bits and pieces of, uh, of the beam universe. Um, Dan already mentioned on page 39, the bear, the fish, the lion, the bat, the, the turtle, the rat, dog, horse, you know, they're all of the beam creatures, which I think is really cool. And as we all know, the turtle, uh, is a, uh, beam creature from the book it, which is a great, uh, addition to the guardians, I think. And, and just kind of nailing that in as the actual guardian, of uh, the Dark Tower universe. Does anybody else have anything? I've got a bunch. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that on top of that, it's sort of 
we were we were talking about this earlier the the house uh, the the Dutch Hill Mansion and yes. the the Niebold house from it Niebold Niebold oh God uh, Niebold Niebold no either, I'm, either gonna, one's great. I'm gonna have a panic attack right now um, <laughs> the that they feel they felt like they mirrored each other and then if if you know because in it that is sort of like his lair and it has a sort of portal like quality to it. Um, there's some argument to be made for that being the other end of the beam. So uh, that could could be interesting to think about. Um, yeah. Uh, I've got a few that I can go through really quickly. You sure. probably cover them. Um, uh, Aaron Deepnow in the Manhattan Restaurant of the Mind is reading a book called The Plague, um, which we think I, I assume is a sort of play on the stand, which comes into play in the next book yeah. um, significantly. And... Um, this is a little weird one that I'll put, and I only thought of this because we did the Langoliers episode, and I know that, like, I, I feel like this is a reverse one, like, he did this in the Langoliers in reference to the rose, but um, I feel like the the sound and the feeling that you get near the rose, or that we hear Jake describing, um, is very similar to the way he describes when they finally get back into their own timeline, but they end up in the future a little bit with this like humming sense of rightness and these rising voices and stuff. So I think that he might have, that might have been an in reverse. And that, that book also had a lot of like going through tears and portals and stuff, not to bring yeah. the Langoliers into this. I was going to say, I think you're the first person to really bring the Langoliers into the Dark Tower and, world. And, and it's in reverse. Is... <laughs> it's really that he brought the Dark Tower world into the Langoliers. And I'm, so sorry. I regret everything. <laughs> no, that's really interesting. I never thought about that, but that, that is true. That That is very similar. I didn't think about that at all. Yeah. This one has less connections than some of the other books, actually. It, this is where he starts making more connections to other types of pop culture. But mm -hmm. Charlie the Choo Choo, the book, does appear in a few of the other novels. It's actually in the book Cell. Oh, um, really? They're at like a county expo. And somebody casually mentions that there's a Charlie the Choo Choo book, which is just kind of fun. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've yet to read Cell, but that's that's cool that it's still showing up in books past the prime of these these books. You yeah, know, there's a lot of little references, and then there's also like a gossip tabloid. I forget the name of it, but it makes appearances. It's not really here nor there, but it it makes several appearances in other books, and I think they mention it briefly in this. Um, it's well, just like think, the name of the publication. I thought I had that too, but I don't think i do here um yeah i've got a, a few i'll just run through them real quick mostly it's just mentions the turtle and things but um roland recites the turtle poem um, page 55 i talk about turtle wax uh when talking about cleaning Susanna's wheelchair um they find one of the 12 portals six paths to the dark tower the great old ones uh created the beams uh we talked about that a bit about how the beams bind and hold um mention of um uh, the turtle luxury condos, where I believe the rose is found, uh, there's a sign that is about the Sombra Real Estate Corp, which will show up again. Um, page 158, it says, if I stand, if I can be true, I'll see the rose. And I like, they, they say that a lot in, in the Dark Tower series, or at least in this book alone, is the, the whole idea of standing, making a stand. And I like I like that allusion to the stand. Um the entrance of Lud uh, one of the, uh, is guarded by a huge stone turtle. Um, it's funny because for being Shardik's path, there's a lot of turtle stuff bleeding over from the opposite end of this path, which is the turtle. You walk the other way, it's bears, just nothing but bears. <laughs> yeah, just bears. 100 years of bears uh, here in Chicago. 
page three, page three twenty one. Uh, they mention uh, King's obviously a big fan of Shirley Jackson. They mentioned the lottery connection in Ludd and how you know they're they're slowly killing people uh, in that in that way. Um, one of my favorite mentions is page three eighty nine. When Richard Fannin, aka the Dark Man, and you know it's the Dark Man because he said, he mentions the the line that a, uh, an old loyal friend of his used to say is "My life for you," uh, which is the Trash Can Man, obviously from the Stand, and um, I just love that's just like it's concrete at that point that you know it's Randall Flag. Um, uh, and my favorite little bit is the idea that you were saying that we you wish they'd go into the wastelands more and all those creatures and things. But they do. The mist is those creatures. Oh, that's yeah, so. It's right. a it's a it's a thinny to the world, but it's a thinny to the wastelands, and all because a lot of those creatures are very, very, very similar to what they mention in here, and I I really love that. I really like the idea of if there being a thinny somewhere out there in the wastelands that these creatures are just wandering into. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the King kind of reference. What do they call it? Like the uh, there's like a space they sort of describe in some of his books, but the thinny. These are, even beyond the thinny, but it's just like this is this other world where there are these monsters that are just on the edge of breaking into our yeah, world. Yeah, uh, I I think I just love that that bit. And I and and if you look at it like that, I don't know if that's a hundred percent concrete, but I, I really think that's what's no, going I think on. Right on. Um, did, was there anything else that do y'all notice during this? Well, I, 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 just in in the mist, I think in the film adaptation of it, there's the kid has like a dark tower poster in his bedroom. Anyway, I think that the, so that was also like a little nod to that oh, same concept. Yeah, no, yeah. the um, yeah, uh, the 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 main character, he's an artist and he's drawing the that's dark right. tower. That's what it is. Yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah. It's during it also in the original it, uh, he's painting a gunslinger. Um, I think John Ritter's character. Oh really? Yeah, in the beginning. Love all these connections, and, and 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 this is where this is the fun thing is that when I read all these books first, that I, I was familiar with a lot of these ideas and a lot of these nods because I had watched all of the the adaptations growing up, but I had not read the books, so I was really excited to read the books because I knew that they had mentioned all these things uh, in the Dark Tower already. So it actually maybe I think it's one way if you read the books first and then read the Dark Tower series, you, I think you'd enjoy it just as much. But it's fun reading the books, and every blue moon there'll be like a little nugget, and it's you're so ingrained in me after reading these now twice. Uh, I just I love finding those little bits and pieces of King's Dominion and other King books. Can I mention one last thing yeah. that may or may not be of import on the the fence around the rose. There's Bango Skank graffiti. That's it. Yep. Yep. I just wanted to say Bango Skank <laughs> yeah, out loud. I love it. And. Uh, Moving on to our next little section here. I've got a few uh, little fun ones. It's called Room 237. What about Room 237? Room 237? You're scared of Room 237, ain't you? No, I ain't. Mr. Allen, what is in Room 237? And these are the real reaches that are not real but real to me in my mind as I was reading page 32, Eddie says, Holy Mary, Mother of God. And I like to think that in some alternate universe, he's the cop from the Goonies that says that at the end of the Goonies when the ship comes out. Uh, page 38, there's um, mention of the Fellowship. And this is just another Lord of the Rings nod, really. Um, that's that's actually more legit than, than silly. Uh, Jake Chambers says on page 152, 
He was walking through the tangled remains of an ancient forest, a dead zone of fallen trees. Maybe Johnny Smith was going to show up in this series. Uh, you never know. Uh, maybe maybe he dies and then shows up in the at the way station. No, it's not going to happen, yes. although that would be great. We love a little tele, te, telepath on, on, in the cotet. Uh, page 208, Dutch Hill Mansion. Uh, Jake uses a last-ditch talisman, and that's obviously just a reference to the talisman, the book. But there actually is another nod, I think, to the talisman in the Manhattan uh, Restaurant of the Mind. Someone mentioned, oh, I think... It's Calvin Tower. I think he says something. He says a quote that's something that is said in the talisman. And I never picked up on that, but I read that uh, a little while ago. Um, so that's great. That's all of our connections, um, which is really, really exciting because we're getting to the nitty gritty here. We're getting down to our final thoughts. But before we get there, I want to talk briefly about the adaptations, which there hasn't been an adaptation exactly of this. But um, the Dark Tower movie does incorporate a lot of the wastelands into it. What do you, f- you know, you've seen the Dark Tower film, Laura? I actually haven't watched it because I'm just trying to, you know, enjoy the, the book series first. Get my, <laughs> get, you know, and, I, and I've heard yeah. just nothing but terrible things about the film. It ain't great. Uh, well, we'll talk really briefly about this. But Dan, you've watched it, right? Yeah, yeah I was yeah, actually on the episode, the episode right? and it was, I was in such a bad mood because we went from the theater to the studio and I was just... I needed time to decompress, but you're not right. to get to. There's not really a whole lot of spoilers per se, but they spoiler. They, they use they use ideas from this book. They take them and they just kind of use them, and they don't go into them. Uh, Jake's the way Jake gets to Midworld in that film is through the Dutch Hell Mansion, but it's really not half as cool. It's like this weird electronic door that's in there. It's not like there's no, he's not drawn or pulled in by anyone else. It's, it's just like they took the idea and did it. And I know that the movie is supposed to be like the next round of things um, and not to get too spoilerific, but it's just, it, it doesn't, it, it's just kind of like, oh, we took, we took some great ideas from the wastelands and then just kind of like threw them in here, but they don't spend time with them. They don't do what I would, would have hoped they would have done. Yeah. They didn't really earn it. Uh, they did pull a lot, like you said, going through the door, but it's so quick that it happens in the movie that, you, you know, the, he's, it's so quick. he's even rolling briefly and then sort of separated. It, you know, it's like you don't have these like multiple books or, you know, what feels like years almost where they've been separated. And then when they finally reunite, it's such a you know yeah. big moment. But that is just kind of brushes by. It's also like a 90 minute runtime. For yeah. This film, oh, which yeah. It was you're crazy. combining like three books. Crazy. That could each be a series on their own. And Jake. Uh, his his whole trajectory. I mean, it's basically the doubling thing here, except you don't get the whole he died before. It, but his entry into this is the wasteland story, basically. Like he's going to school, he's having all these thoughts. He keeps seeing the dark tower and all these things. Um, it's just unfortunately used in a film that's not very good, and um, yeah. which is which sucks because then we can't really see the Dutch Hill and all that stuff actually yeah, happening I, I, going down. The thing that made me the to. saddest was the fact that it probably I'm pretty sure it did terrible box office. And that means we're going to get less entries for the Dark Tower series. So I'm holding out hope that the TV show or the streaming show is going to, I don't know, kind of redeem it. And that this way people will actually pay attention and keep making films about this. Because I think it could be so great to see this on screen. Uh, It just was such a, I don't know, paint job. It was just terrible. 
I still love Stephen King. Yeah, love, love I, Steve. I love Stephen. <laughs> I love Stephen King. No, yeah, the the adaptation is not not good. I don't like that they used a lot of wastelands because they use they misuse parts that I love and and not very well. Um, I'm very interested in seeing the new series that's coming out on Amazon. I don't know if we'll ever get to this kind of section of it. It sounds like they're going to be really steeped in Midworld, but maybe one day we'll see Dutch Hill. Um, I mean, we we saw the alternate version of Dutch Hill very recently in it chapter two, um, which uh, this loser did not really love. Um, so let's move to our last and final section. If you all agree to move on to that section called our overall thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. (laughs) Okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Dan, why don't you kick us off with what you thought? Give us your nose rating for this beast of a book. What do you think about The Wastelands? In terms of bright red, shiny, did I get those in the right order? Bright bright red, Pennywise. Bright red, shiny, Pennywise clown noses. I would actually give this four and a half. I really like this entry. Uh, Book two sucked me in. I've said this in the previous episode. And I really enjoy where this is going. And... I didn't know that the best was yet to come, but when I was reading this book the first time, it just really uh, sucked me in, and I, I was there. And I like the idea that now we've all kind of established these characters, but now we're going to get to know each other. And by getting to know each other, they sort of learn about themselves, right? So Roland has to deal with Eddie. He's kind of pain in the ass in book two. But now you're starting to see he's getting a little more sympathetic, and he does see the value of Eddie. And especially at the start of book four, I think Eddie proves that he is a rightful member uh, I like Susanna, too, taking to the gunslinging training so quickly. And she does have that killer instinct that I think, you know, there's just certain people that have an intensity. And I think Roland immediately picks up on that with her. Yeah, I, I, I think, like we were saying, the ZZ Top Velcro Fly, which apparently is about stripper clothes that are sealed with Velcro, according to the oh, music gosh. video. Uh, coordinated by Paul Abdul, the music video, by the way. Oh. Choreography, I should say. Um, but it, it, it's I like that it's branching out into not just the typical pop culture, but it's starting to get weird. And it just continues to get stranger and weirder. Oh, yeah. And it, it just was sweet. Nice. That's all I got to say. Laura, what did you what did you think? Wait, how, many, how many bright red Pennywise clown noses did you get this book? Hmm. Um, my rating on the BRPCN scale. Um, I also <laughs> I also gave it a 4.5. I... You know, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, it did suck me into and I, and I loved the, all the lore and world be- building and um, even things that I didn't think were 100% successful still just like kept me on the hook. You know, I want to know more. I'm now, you know, it's it's almost like uh, it did the thing to my brain where you start being like everything's connected, the synchronicities. And what, is, what does it all mean? You know, it just really hits that spot um, that a series like this needs you to to get you really into it. I... Wasn't quite sure what I was going to give this book. I think the first time around, I might have given it about a four, but I think I'm leaning more on the 4.5. There really was not anything I disliked about this this time around. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I found myself burning through it towards the end. Uh, I love, again, the world building is excellent. I love where everybody's at. It, it's it's the book you long to go back to as we continue because things just get, you know, obviously our heroes just go through a lot worse. 
and and it makes you long for the times where there are moments where they're all together and having this like this adventure uh and and right now it still feels like an adventure although they're dealing with awful terrible things it still very much feels like an adventure book and as we get further it just becomes more and more serious and dour and you know it's an adventure but it's it's a deadly adventure <laughs> um so yeah i'm gonna give it 4.5 bright red pennywise clown noses that's a solid 4.5 across the board from these losers aisha was originally going to be on this episode we uh, she was going to give me her nose rating but i didn't get it in time uh so if you're curious about what the other losers gave this reach out on socials and i'm sure they will let you know uh, we obviously here are we're big tower heads i know dan is uh and hopefully laura will have you on for the next uh wizard and glass episode my, when we get there my tower is growing yes 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 oh that's <laughs> save that for the pound cake <laughs> um no but I, I gotta say it is nice too because i feel like the last few episodes i've been on i've been kind of hater drinking the haterade because i was on like the langoliers book and mini series and you know there's just <laughs> So I, I, like I, most I, people I just want to reaffirm that I am a huge Stephen King fan, and it's nice to have one of these books where you're just you're like, yeah, I can really sink my teeth into this one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad. I, I always wanted to be on all the Dark Tower books because I felt like they were for sure surefire books that I would be excited to talk about and in a positive way. I feel like a lot of our fans question whether we're Stephen King fans at all sometimes <laughs> because we're just so negative about some of those adaptations and things that are out there. But God damn it, if you like everything blindly, you're not really a fan. Are you saying You've we're got cotet? to call him out. You've got to call him out. Yeah. I think, yeah, our, our cotet here, I think we all feel a bit, about, a bit the same about King. We love him and he's clearly capable of great things but if we can't call him out on the things that are weak you know what are we doing here what what, what world are we living in yeah, clearly just not approach things with the critical mind it's don't <laughs> don't just hate things for the sake of hating him and don't love him for the sake of loving him just look at things critically exactly uh that's being said langley is a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> yes yes agree <laughs> Well, thanks again to our constant listeners for continuing to check out the Losers Club week to week. Please be sure to spread the word about the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Facebook, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. That helps us greatly, and we really do appreciate it. That was our third Dark Tower book. But don't worry, we're not through the keyhole just yet. We'll actually be opening a new door that leads to the future. Our next book that we're going to be covering is actually Dr. Sleep. Uh, in conjunction with the film that will be coming out in the beginning of November. So if you're looking as to what to read next, jump to the future and read Dr. Sleep. Uh, uh, trust me, you're going to enjoy that episode and hopefully enjoy the film, which I think looks pretty good. Um, I'm excited to do that. I don't think any of us are going to be on that episode unless... No, <laughs> probably not. But be sure to read that next. Um, we look forward to next time. But until then... Long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network.